beginning a new series uh, this fall that we're calling Revive Us Again. It's a prayer series on biblical awakening, renewal, revival, where the Holy Spirit brings to life what was dead or what was dull and gives and animates them, brings them to life. When We're going to be thinking about what happens when the Holy Spirit comes upon a person, what comes upon a community in powerful ways. And we're going to begin this morning with a cry of revival that we find in uh, Isaiah chapter 63. It's a prayer uh, of Isaiah that he pray, prays when his, uh, the people of Israel are in exile. The, the, the empire of Babylon has come and has, has laid waste the city of Jerusalem, has destroyed the holy city, has decimated the temple, and has carried God's people away into exile. And in that groaning and in that um, time of, of sorrow and uncertainty, um, Isaiah cries out, and this is his prayer. I'm going to invite you to read along with me in Isaiah 63, beginning at verse 15, where he cries out to God, Look down from heaven and see, from your lofty throne that's holy and glorious, where are your zeal and your might? Your tenderness and compassion are withheld from us. But you are our Father. Though Abraham doesn't know us or Israel acknowledge us, you, O Lord, are our Father. Our Redeemer from of old is your name. Why, O Lord, do you make us wander from your ways and harden our hearts so we do not revere you? Return for the sake of your servants, the tribes that are your inheritance. For a little while your people possessed your holy place, but now our enemies have trampled down your sanctuary. Speaking of the temple. We are yours from of old, but have not, you have not ruled over them. They have not been called by your name. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you, as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. Come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, nor ear has perceived, no eye has seen any gods beside you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. But when we continue to sin against them, you are angry. How then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who's unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sin sweeps us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you. For you've hidden your face from us and made us waste away because of our sins. Yet, O oh Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We're all the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, O oh Lord. Do not, be, do not remember our sins forever. Oh, look upon us, we pray, for we are your people. Your sacred cities have become a desert. Even Zion is a desert. Jerusalem, a desolation. Our holy and glorious temple where our fathers praised you has been burned with fire. And all that we treasured lies in ruins. After all this, O Lord, will you hold yourself back? Will you keep silent and punish us beyond measure? This is the word of God. a powerful cry 
for God to renew his work, for God to awaken what is sleeping, for God to bring life to what is dead, for God to animate what is dull, for God to intervene and to change. Our culture, I think, um, maybe, you, maybe you recognize this, that in our culture, I think that um, we either um, accept the way things are or deny that there's a problem. That our culture either forces on us to, um, to just accept the way that things are the way they are or, um, hey, there's no problem here. There's no problem here. It's this passive and reactionary um, outlook on life. But Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God. He says the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. The kingdom of God is here. He, he, says, he calls us to a life of action, to love your enemies, to, to seek um, uh, the good of those who would, who would hate you. The reality for those who would um, follow Jesus is that there is um, almost an inevitable drift in our faith. That, that as we follow Jesus and as we begin to follow Jesus, we're often really passionate and um, and, and we're like white hot and, and, and we're just filled with awe and wonder at all that he's doing. And, and we see the sin in our life and it, and it brings us to tears and our emotions are white hot. And over time, there's this, there's this drift away from that. Where, we, where our faith gets to a point where we can manage it, where we're comfortable with it, and we kind of just mail it in from there. That um, our hearts... Uh, tend towards religion, towards like, let's just keep things in this nice little box and let me, you know, dot my I's and cross my T's and be a good little boy or girl. And we lose this white hot relationship and spirituality. And so we just get our point, our relationship with God becomes something that we can manage. But let me tell you, there's no great stories that come from managing things. You know, every great story, think of every great um, movie or a great novel that you've read. Every great story, there's this character, and this character has some sort of idea that something is wrong, but then there's this inciting incident, right, where they're, where they're, they're faced with a choice. They either have to step into the new reality or they have to, or they don't. Now, we don't tell the stories of those who, uh, who choose mediocrity, who choose to just, you know, um, in the Matrix, they take the blue pill, right? Or, they, or um, you know, we're just, we'll, we'll just be blind to, to the way things are. Imagine Gandalf, Gandalf comes to the Shire, and he comes to Frodo, and he's, and he's laying down before him what this ring is all about, and he says, Middle Earth is in trouble. Middle Earth is is in peril, and, and I have a quest for you. Imagine Frodo says, well, you know, there's this girl I like. She lives here in the Shire, so I don't care if Middle Earth <laughs> goes in flames. I want my kids to grow up in a good school, so, you know, I'm just going to stay here where it's comfortable. See, God calls us beyond the way things are right now. There's areas in your life and in our society where God wants to do a work that will cause growth. 
And so this passage we read today is a heart cry of Isaiah. That this is Isaiah's soul crying out to God in anguish and in desperation. I think, I think it's possible that many of us are scared to really express what's in our hearts to God. Are we, are we comfortable to actually express what we really think and feel in our hearts towards God? Can we really feel with the intensity, that the, the longings that are in our soul? Can you really express your disappointment with God? Can you really express your doubts and your sorrow and your anguish to God? Can you can we worry, you know, if I if I can am I actually allowed to pray like that? And so we numb ourselves with sports and Netflix and comforts and a thousand and one activities to cram our calendars full and we say no to Gandalf and turn on the football game. I worry about what class our kids are going to be in. But every now and then, the circumstances are such that that just isn't an option and we have to respond and we have to express what's in our heart towards God. See, in Isaiah, Israel's in exile as punishment for their sin. And so Isaiah, as a message of the Lord, messenger of the Lord, is heartbroken. He's heartbroken that the holy city is destroyed. He's heartbroken that, that worship at the temple isn't continuing. And he cries out, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. The key to this entire passage is that little word, oh. Isn't it? Oh, oh. Do you, do you hear the anguish in that little word, oh, oh, that you would rend the heavens, that you would come down? There's this tiny little word that's full of emotional intensity. He's having a ferocious conversation with God. His heart is broken, and he wants God to act. He wants God to step in. He's longing for more. We live in an age where we have more Christian resources than ever before. Than any other uh, age and era of the church, we have, we have more books, we have more videos, we have access to more sermons. You can podcast anyone. We have content all over. We have teaching like crazy. But has the church of, of Jesus in North America ever been in a more perilous situation than it is right now? We have books on prayer. You can learn sermons, hear, listen to sermons on prayer. But where do you go to learn to pray? Who's teaching you how to pray? And let's face it, most prayer meetings are boring. I can only pray for Aunt Betty's gout, you know, so often, right? <laughs> we fill our prayers with Christian, Christianese, these platitudes, and, and sometimes you wonder, can God even answer that? Is there even a request in there? God, that you would bless me. 
What does that even mean? That you'd bless me, bless us. The Bible, I want, I want us to hear this morning, the Bible gives you permission to get out of your heart what's in it. Oh, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Verse 7, it talks about laying hold of God in prayer, taking hold of him, contending with him. To pray in such a way as that you may even have, be asking in the back of your head, am I even allowed to pray like this? It's the difference between if I promised you something, that I would, I would do something, and I'm getting old and I'm um, forgetting a lot of things now. And, and so maybe you'd come and you'd say, hey, hey, Kev, did you, uh, did you do that thing that you said you would? And I'm like, oh, man, I forgot, Sorry. And you'd be like, oh, that's too bad. Could you do that? Contrast that with um, when my kids ask me to do something and I forget to do it. They're like, Dad, you said you would. Come on. Get your act together. Come on, Dad. You said. You promised. When you read the promises of God in Scripture... Can you contend with God like a child with their father? Are you disappointed with God? Is there, a, is there a disconnect between the promises you read in Scripture and the experience of your present reality? And when you see that disconnect, can you contend with God? Can you lay hold of Him and say, Father, you said you would. Would you act? That's Isaiah. He's experiencing this disconnect between what he, the promises he's read in, in Scripture about the holy city of Jerusalem being the center of worldwide worship of, of Yahweh, of the king, of, of, of the temple worship as the only way to, to approach a holy God. And he's saying, it's laid waste, God. There's this disconnect between what I'm reading in your word, between what you've said and what my present experience is. And would you act now? Would you get up? off your, your couch in heaven and come down? He's rousing God. He's contending with God. He's wrestling with God. He's saying like Jacob, I won't let you go unless you bless me. There's passion and there's urgency all over this prayer. See, what he knows about God isn't squaring with his experience right now. Just look down from heaven and see from your lofty throne that's holy and glorious. Where's your zeal? Where's your might? Where's your tenderness? Where's your compassion? Where are they? Would you act? Would you show your might? Would you show your compassion? Why are you passively sitting by? He's crying out for God to show himself to be strong and compassionate. He says, God, my heart is troubled. God, would you revive this heart? I I am distant from you. It feels like you're letting me down. He expresses the pain that's in his heart to God. He doesn't, he doesn't try to repress that. He doesn't try to stuff it and say, I'm not allowed to feel like that. I'm not allowed to think like that. But he doesn't just vent it either, right? He, goes to, he brings it to God. He brings it to God and he processes it, processes it in God's presence in prayer. He says, I'm, I am sorrowful, but I'm, I'm not just pretending that I'm not sorrowful. I'm not going to just tell everyone that I'm sorrowful. I'm coming to you, God. 
I'm coming to you as my father, as my redeemer, and I want to express my sorrow to you. And I want to call on you to act. We don't need to fake it about how everything is awesome. Friends, revival, a renewal of God's work, is not for those who are awesome. It's for those who are crushed and broken and needy. For those who need God to step in. And he says, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. That the mountains would tremble before you. As when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. Come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. God, would you close the gap between what you say you can do and what you promise you will do and what you're actually doing? And he gives these three metaphors, right? Of fire being started, of water coming to a boil, of mountains quaking. These, these three things, fire being started from a spark to a flame, from water being boiled, water coming to a boil, just being water to all of a sudden there's bubbles and there's gas, there's activity, things are changing in a moment. When mountains are quaking, with no, with this sudden change, and the difference is his presence. Cornerstone, may, may we never get comfortable with a lack of hunger for the presence of God among us. May we never be content with a lack of hunger for God's presence among us. God among us is the aim and the ambition of our church. We don't impress people with clever preaching, great music, padded pews, fancy buildings, outstanding programs, or even a friendly atmosphere. Those are all good things, but it's the presence of God that we hunger for. Our vision is far beyond those things. The glory of God, the presence of God, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. And it's so easy to get into routines and mail our spirituality in. If you're a follower of Jesus, can I ask you, when's the last time you wept over your sin? The, the, the remaining sin in your life and saying, wow, God, I still have, I'm still rebellious against you. My heart is, is set up like I, I just wander. When's the last time you're, you're just filled with great joy and un, like just this holy awe that, wow, I can't believe that God would save me. That he would forgive all my sins. When's the last time that's, that's moved you? When's the last time you've, you've had a hunger for God's word? Where it's beyond just habit and just rote and routine and say, well, I got to read my Bible and I got to say my prayers. When's the last time you've, it's been like bread to a hungry person? Is it possible that God needs to revive your heart? Is it possible that God needs to breathe new life into our church? So easy to get into routines and to mail it in. Listen to Jonathan Edwards. He's a pastor in the Great Awakening in the United States a couple hundred years ago. He says this. He describes this scene where the Holy Spirit just intensified his work, his normal work. It's not like something new. It's not like something different. It's intensifying the things that he's already doing. It's intensifying the things the church is already about. He says, but this, the town seemed to be full of the presence of God. It was never so full of love or joy, and yet so full of distress as it was then. There were remarkable tokens of God's presence in almost every house. It was a time of joy in families on account of salvation being brought unto them. 
Parents rejoiced over their children as newborn, and husbands over their wives, and wives over their husbands. Our public assemblies were then beautiful. The congregation was alive in God's service. Even one earnestly intent on the public worship, every hearer eager to drink in the words of the pastor as they came from his mouth. The assemblies were, in general, from time to time, in tears while the word was preached. Some were weeping with sorrow and distress, others with joy and love, others with pity and concern for the soul's of their neighbors. Our public praises were then greatly enlivened. As we look out on our culture, Christianity is drifting into being inconsequential. There's little urgency, there's little longing. Can we can we join with Isaiah and say, "Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down?" Do we expect God to move in powerful ways for his glory and for our good in our day? But here's the thing. As we study revivals in church history, as we study the scriptures about renewal movements, that's what we're going to be doing over the next number of of weeks. And we're looking in the scripture for times where God renewed his work and God called his people to repentance. God intensified his work among the people to bring about change in a community. That's what we're going to be looking at. But when we we study that, we, we see that he rarely works in ways that people expect. Jonathan Edwards' book on the revival was called The Surprising Work of God. The surprising work of God. It says, when you did awesome things, we didn't expect, verse 3. You came down and the mountains trembled before you. Abraham was called from a pagan nation of Canaan. David was the forgotten youngest brother who became the greatest king of Israel. Jesus was born in a manger with no one expecting him. Paul was a Pharisee who Jesus lambasted. And who was persecuting the church. Peter was an unreliable fisherman. The church in China thrived under persecution in the 60s. But too often we grow impatient. And we won't wait upon God and we take action ourselves. But I believe we can position ourselves for God's surprising work. I think this passage gives us a few clues as to how we can posture ourselves and position ourselves as a church for God to surprise us with renewing us. Look at verse 4. I think the first thing is that we would be patient. It says, since the ancient times no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. Cornerstone, let us not accept any substitute. God doesn't work according to our timetables. And so let us refuse to take it into our own hands. It's not an excuse for laziness or inactivity, but it's a call to an openness to receive and a conviction that we will wait upon you until you act. I think we can also position ourselves for God's surprising work among us by walking in his ways. And devote a whole sermon to that. What, what do we do when revival tarries? Is a is the name of a book that's fairly well known from the past. When revi- why revival tarries? But what do we do in the meantime? What do we do in the meantime? Isaiah here would say, "Walk in His ways. Walk in His ways. You come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. Call on your name. Lay, strive to lay hold of you." He talks about prayer. He talks about humility. He takes, talks of taking hold of God. 
He says, it's a powerful prayer, verses 8 and 9. You, O Lord, are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We're the work of your hand. Do what you need to do to bring us to life. Do whatever you need to do. That's a terrifying prayer, actually. Do whatever you need to do to bring us to life, to shape us into the kind of person you want us to be, into the kind of church you want us to be, into the kind of vessel that you can use. This is Vision Sunday at Cornerstone. So a few reflections. A few reflections. First, a vision for spiritual renewal, I think, is the need of the hour. A vision for spiritual renewal is the need of our time. We're going to talk tonight at our worship tonight of some more specific things that we think God's calling us to do. All kinds of things. I invite you to come back. It's going to be exciting. But over and above programs and buildings and staffing and all of that kind of stuff, which are important and good, and we trust God's leading in them, over and above all of that, the need for spiritual renewal is the need of the hour. If we would put our hope in buildings, if we would put our hope in staffing, if we would put our hope in our programs, if we would just act without a humble dependence on God in prayer, we would be fools. A need for spiritual renewal is the need of the hour. Again, I mentioned before, we have great teaching and worship resources out there. Right? But it, you can podcast like teaching in our day that previous generations could only dream of we have but it doesn't it doesn't even touch the radar in niagara no one cares we have great worship music no one cares churches grow in niagara because christians move from one church to that church is that it is that it the church needs power again. The church needs power again. First reflection, spiritual renewal, a vision for spiritual renewal is the need of the hour. Secondly, I want to talk about the invitation before us. This summer, God spoke to me. I don't say that lightly, but unmistakably, I heard the voice of God. And he said this, Seek my face. How do I know it was God? Because it's from Psalm 27. God said it. Seek my face. Seek my face. That verse continues, Psalm 27, 8. And my heart said to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. The invitation before us is to seek the face of God. invitation before us as a church community is to seek the face of God. Does that blow your mind? That holy, almighty God would say, seek my face. Seek. Seek my face. And we can say, your face, Lord, we will seek. Not your hand, 
Not what you can do for us, but your face so that we can relate to you as a friend relates to a friend face to face. You see, there's a difference that we need to guard against in this series as we're talking about revival and we cry out, revive us again. There's a difference between seeking God for revival and seeking revival from God. There's a difference between seeking God for revival and seeking revival from God. If we're seeking revival from God, we're, we're interested in what God can do for us. We want an exciting ride. But if we seek God and hunger after him, to know him, revival always begins with a thirst for God, for a heart and hearts that cry out to him with genuine honesty, with, with the intensity to let your heart feel, with the intensity what it feels. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Oh, that we would know you again. Oh, that you would change us. Oh, that I would be the clay, that you would be my potter, that I would know you as my father. Oh, that you would rend the heavens. Oh, that I would know you. Revival always begins. Martin Lloyd-Jones says that. It's on one of those, those quote slides. Revival always begins with a thirst for God. Not a thirst for revival, a thirst for God. You may uh, wonder, what's the deal with the wave? It's like, it's a nice picture, but what's that got to do with anything? Um, one, of, one of the things I just love to do is we often go to Myrtle Beach in October with our kids, and we love to take those, um, what are they called? Those little boards, boogie boards, I guess. I'm not a surfer. I'm not cool enough for that, but I can boogie board. Um, and there's nothing, I, I just love the feeling of, you know, you're out there in the water, and it's up to, somewhere in your chest, or you're, you're with the kids, it's up to my knees, or whatever, but you're in the water, and you, what you need to do is you need to position yourself so that, that you're on the board right where the wave crashes. If you're too far out and the wave hasn't crashed yet, it's just going to sweep past you. And if you're too far in, too close to the shore, and the wave's already crashed, it'll kind of push you under. But if you can get right in the sweet spot, if you can position and posture yourself just so, when the wave crashes, it just pushes you forward. Now, here's the thing. As a surfer, as a boogie boarder, I can't create a wave. Right? The, the power in a wave is... is it is not mine to make. That's beyond us. But a surfer can position themselves and posture themselves to be ready for when the wave comes and let that power push them forward. And so our, 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 our hope, our prayer, our desire this season is that we would position and posture ourselves in humility before God. And with a new intensity, cry out to him and seek his face together.
We're going to be doing all kinds of things. We're going to talk about all the doings tonight, okay? But in and through in all of that thing, all of those things, would we seek, seek his face? Would we hear the invitation before us? Seek my face. And would we respond, your face, Lord, I will seek. Let's pray. Father in heaven, what a delight it is to gather together. What a delight it is to hear from you. Lord, you know you know the longings and the anguish in many of our hearts. Many of us are here out of routine. And we haven't felt you in, in a long time. Many of us have serious questions for you, God. We don't understand our present experience. We don't know what you're doing. And so, Father, we, in this moment and in the rest of today, we want to, as a church, gather before you and in your presence seek your face and pour out our hearts to you and cry out to you. And, Father, our, ultimately our prayer is that you would rend the heavens and come down, that your presence would be among us. And that through us, your presence would be made known to the Niagara region. And that you would act in surprising ways, ways that we're not even expecting. We don't put our hope in our praying. We don't put our hope in our preaching. We don't put our hope in our programs, Lord. We renounce those things and we say our hope is in you. Where else would we look to for hope? Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. That you would do a new work among us. That you would revive your church. That you would awaken us to the glory of the gospel of Jesus. Father, we praise you that you did rend the heavens and come down. That in the Lord Jesus, you, you broke through heaven and you lived among us. And that now you live in us by your spirit. We acknowledge that and we ask, Lord, that you would rekindle that fire among us. Lord, you have done amazing things in this, in this very room in the past. And in this community, you have done unbelievable, remarkable things. And we ask, do it again. Do it again. Lord, we see promises in your word that when your people humble themselves and pray, that you will hear from heaven and that you will heal their, heal their land. You promise, Lord, that, that you're, you will build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You promise to meet with your people as we seek you. So would you do that? In Jesus' name.